across the UK. Overnight with Martin Kellner. There is a place I'd give the world to see Where the music's softly playing And the rhythm's gently swaying Underneath the stars in a million bars Guitars are softly saying Mexico You got to be in so much to see in Mexico so we're going now to uh, Mexico, to Campeche in Mexico, and uh, let's welcome uh, John Bonfilio, who joins us now. Uh, John, thanks uh, ever so much for joining us. No problem. Yes, from Mexico or potentially Egypt, according to Joe Biden, who definitely doesn't have a problem with recall and confused the two countries at a press conference last night. Yeah, well, easily done. Easily done, I would say. Um, well, we start. Do we, Both have pyramids. Yes, well, absolutely. Uh, you, you mentioned Egypt and Mexico. Well, we start actually in Brazil, um, carnival time in Rio. Uh, but in the midst of that, uh, Rio de Janeiro has declared a state of public health emergency because uh, of an epidemic of dengue fever. We were talking about dengue fever um, when you, you had a touch of it, didn't you? I did, yeah. yeah no, it is. Carnival season is here. Uh, across Latin America, nowhere on earth is this as iconic an event as it is in uh, in Rio, uh, except for the fact that, of course, it is suffering, as you say, a dengue-related uh, health emergency. Actually, Rio's name gives you a clue as to the problems that it suffers at this time of year, because Rio de Janeiro is the January River. It famously mm. has rains at this time of year, and at the moment, with climate change, it's suffering record heat and above average uh, rainfall. Brazilians are basically used to mosquito-borne illnesses and, and dengue but brazil uh, has had in january four times the, the higher number of cases mm. than this time uh, last year and it's already seen in five weeks rio has already seen in five weeks half the cases it normally has um in a year in case you needed reminding and i certainly don't it's a viral infection uh, and it's actually the most common virus vector vectored by those pesky insects. There's no treatment for it, although really interestingly, Brazil is actually currently rolling out in a world first uh, a vaccine to combat the uh, the disease. Yeah, I mean, you'd think there would be a vaccine. As you say, it's so common. Um, and uh, is it, I know it, it's, it's rarely fatal, isn't it? It's not fatal. It's not like coronavirus but you would think you know that up to now because they, you know there's been a fair bit of dengue fever around over the years somebody would have developed a, a vaccine yeah one in five cases uh, untreated becomes hemorrhagic where you start bleeding out from from the inside um so those are the ones that really need to be treated and if you live somewhere which you know where doesn't which doesn't have access to decent healthcare, which a lot of remote parts of Latin America don't have, then that's where, where you get a problem. The mortality rates for, that, for those one in five are, are pretty high. But the global context, and I think this is why it's concentrated the mind as far as the vaccine recently, is that it is massively spreading uh, geographically, and there is much more of it. It's grown eight times in the last two decades. And get this, it now exists in every region on Earth, except for Europe and Antarctica. Blimey. Yeah, well, it's certainly uh, 
yeah, as you say, it's something that's spreading and something you know needs to be um, needs to be looked after. Uh, th- another story that's uh, that's emerged this week is there was uh, I say it's emerged this week. There was just a long a long piece on this which I read in the Guardian, and this is the one you mentioned uh, a little while ago. Uh, the children lost in the jungle in Colombia. Uh, tell me about that story. You should remind people the details of the story and tell me if there's been any developments. Yeah, I think sometimes after such a big story, there's a period of time which passes and then somebody remembers it and then you sort of get an update and a drawing mm. together of the strands of, of what took place. But if you if you remember back to May last year, this absolutely grabbed uh, global attention and it was a plane crash in the Colombian Amazon in what was or is one of the wettest and densest parts of uh, the Amazon jungle. And it catapulted this family into uh, a vast search and rescue mission and the international news cycle it was a light aircraft uh, on the flight where the pilot another individual another adult and then a mother and her four young children and this is part of the story because the young children were 13 9 4 and 11 months old from the indigenous Witoto community and as soon as the plane uh, went down it led to special forces and indigenous groups uh, coming together in that part of the jungle to try and find any survivors Uh, nothing was found for a period of time the fuselage was finally found two weeks later in which the three adults were were dead and it's at that point that it became a huge international news story because it was clear that these children including the baby who actually ended up celebrating its first first birthday in the jungle had uh, survived Um, three weeks on from that point a dozen units were scouring the jungle. In, uh, up to 200 people were involved and kept finding, which was tantalizing, uh, uh, nappies, diapers, half-eaten fruit, shoes, footprints, but no children. And a number of people started to give up, but some continued. And 40 days, full month and a half almost after the crash, the children were, were finally found in a clearing. Um, but as you say, in the months that followed, we've learned a lot about what happened. One of the things, I don't know if you remember the character of Wilson, this uh, Belgian shepherd that was part of the search team that ex- mm. escaped his his handlers. And it turns out that this dog had spent a period of time, had found the kids and spent a, a period of time protecting him in, in the jungle, but then had it, itself, himself gone off and disappeared, never to be uh, found. Another thing we've established since then is that actually the rain that everybody was really fearful of uh, for them because it's almost constant rain at that time of year uh, was actually what saved them because they could get clean water they could fill up their bottles with clean water and actually it meant the jungle was in bloom and being from an indigenous community it meant they had basically all the fruit that they could um uh, that they could find and eat and the other i guess kind of highly problematic thing we've learned is that they actually were really close to the searchers all the time but the children's grandmother understandably had told them always because of the problems in that part uh, of the world Mm. had told them to avoid men with guns so they had basically been fleeing the search parties for the full 40 days until they were finally too exhausted to move and were found and rescued that is an absolutely amazing story. Like I can say there was a, a long read all about it uh, in The Guardian uh, last week. Um, here's another interesting story uh, a sporting, in a sporting context. Uh, Argentina's most famous football fan, Carlos Pascual, has died at the age of 83. It's very rare that uh, you know, a player or a manager gets, uh, you know, gets a bit of an obituary and a bit of a send-off. But uh, it's rare for a fan to, uh, to get that sort it of is. treatment. It yeah. is. But the reason why it's, it's happening here is because it takes the word fan right back to the word 
fanatic, also known as El Dula. Uh, he was famous for cheering the national side, not once, not twice, but all the time, absolutely everywhere, uninterrupted, from his first World Cup in Germany in 1974 until Qatar just a couple of years ago now, 18 months ago, full 13 World Cups to the extent that FIFA, uh, just after that World Cup, actually voted him, gave him an award, an award for the best uh, fan. And in an interview a year before uh, he died, he said that he might have been poor, but he traveled the world and he came to represent all of the fans that, uh, that cheered on and adored the Albi Celeste, the Argentine national side. Yeah. Amazing. And uh, one famous uh, participant in the uh, Argentine uh, national side, uh, Lionel Messi, um, at the centre of a bit of a controversy here involving David Beckham as well, because uh, the uh, Inter-Miami Beckham's team went to play in uh, in Hong Kong and uh, Lionel Messi did, didn't turn up and people had bought tickets basically because they wanted to see uh, Messi you know and I think there was another one or one or two of the key players for Inter Miami uh, who didn't play or were on the subs bench uh, and um, there's a fair amount of uh, criticism going around over this it is it's it's um the the major booster it's Inter Miami's most uh, important selling point but it's also their biggest a crucifix is Leo Messi is when he plays and, and doesn't play. Um, has there been a preseason tour as disastrous as this one that Inter Miami are just finishing in Asia? I, I struggle to uh, remember. Of course, Major League Soccer sides are currently warming up for the season ahead and, and touring everywhere where they think they have a, a present or future market. And of course, Leo Messi is, you know, remember the David Beckham of the time. He's the David mm. Beckham of today. And he was accompanied on tour by Inter Miami's co-owner, David Beckham, who bless his soul had to address his fans, uh, the fans in Hong Kong, and apologise for the fact that Messi, uh, being the only person that everybody wanted to see, uh, didn't appear. Messi on played five out of six matches on this tour of Asia, including, crucially, in Japan, only uh, days later, in a Lazarian recovery. Uh, but he didn't play in China. And Beijing is not happy. Angry face. Uh, of course, there is historic animosity between China and Japan, which has been fueled in this. And the Hong Kong government are extremely disappointed to the extent that one prominent lawmaker said that Messi's no-show was deliberate and calculated and that he should never more be allowed into Hong Kong. Wow. Wow. I don't that bother him too much. But uh, but still, yeah, it's it's uh, caused a huge uh, furore, that part of the world. Just uh, finally, obviously, you know, since I've been talking to you, uh, John, on the, on the program, I, um, I keep an eye out for news from Latin America. And I noticed that uh, President uh, Bukele in uh, El Salvador, he's been uh, re-elected in what he says is um, he got 85% of the votes, he said, uh, and uh, he claimed this was a record in the entire democratic history of the world. This must be some guy, President Bukele, who's broken a world record there. I mean, he's actually not too far wrong. His approval ratings, which is crazy for any... I mean, it is moving towards authoritarianism, El Salvador... Uh, but it is still fundamentally a, a, you know, a functioning democracy. And the guy has 93% approval ratings. I mean, nobody else on earth gets even close. Uh, Nandra Modi in India uh, is in the low 70s. Uh, AMLO in Mexico is in the 60s. But for anybody to have that level of approval rate, I mean, we all know the way that approval ratings go. But for, you know, for him to have been 
elected on that overwhelming mandate is is huge. Yeah. I mean, he says it used to be um, he's described himself as the world's coolest dictator. And he says it used to be uh, a very unsafe country. Now, uh, El Salvador is one of the safest countries in the world. So I assume what he's got this approval rating by cracking down on gangs and drugs, etc. Yeah, he, he has he has a knack for drawing public attention and annoying uh, the uh, the progressive literati. So that's when he says things like he's the world's coolest dictator. He says them sort of a little bit uh, tongue in cheek. But yeah, the, the, the only stats you need to understand uh, why he's been elected on that mandate is that uh, just five years ago, uh, El Salvador was one of the murder capitals, if not the murder capital of the world. And now in just that short period of time, it is the safest country in Latin America. And that is to do with uh, incredibly hardline policies, which he has enacted to crack down on a, on a gang problem, which has been existing for two generations in uh, in the country. And it seems as though people are happy to give up a little bit of their freedoms uh, in order to trade that off for a little bit more of not just a little bit more, a lot more of their safety. Yeah, interesting. Um, John, as always, thank you uh, ever so much. Do appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk again next week. No problem. Long live the Arab Republic of Mexico. Indeed. It's <laughs> a message there for uh, Sleepy Joe. Thank you very much indeed, uh, John Bonfilio.